Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Let's bring in Luke Thiessen, Communications Manager at Silo Mission. Luke, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for doing this. Appreciate that. Uh, thank you for waiting. I wanted to put that uh, Rusin audio out there before our our conversation in case people missed it live earlier uh, here on CJOB. What can you tell us about COVID-19 at Silo Mission? Any cases there? Uh, currently, no, thank goodness. Um, we, we did have um, a number of, of positive cases within our community um, over the last month, but it's now been um, over a week, so we know it wasn't an outbreak. It was a, a few handful of isolated cases. We've been really lucky that um, you know, with a lot of uh, strict measures uh, and procedures within our facilities, um, and you know, a little bit of a little bit of luck that we've been able to avoid uh, an outbreak here um, within Siloam. Well, that is good news. So, when you had somebody there who tested positive, how was that handled then? Yeah, so we've uh, we have processes for whether that person is you know someone who's already staying in shelter, whether it was somebody who was and um, you know maybe already moved to another facility. When we hear that it's positive, uh, there's there's been a few different types of scenarios there, um, but generally um, we we have one uh, public health nurse who we contact um, when people are symptomatic or if we get a test, we're in communication with them. And those individuals go to one of these uh, isolation facilities um, as soon as we deem there there might be a risk to the others and within Siloam. You know, uh, a contact tracing is so important in this battle against COVID nineteen, and obviously amongst Winnipeg's homeless population, that I'm sure gets challenging, eh? It does. Um, we, the way we have the way we've kind of landed with things at Siloam. We've been able to um, do a very good job of keeping track of those who are inside our building, who are kind of in the in the bubble or the cohort of our overnight shelter. Um, so when there's um, someone who's symptomatic or, a, or even a positive case within that group, it's pretty easy for us to know how long have they been there, who were who were they nearest to, what were their contacts. Um, where it gets trickier is in the broader population, those who are maybe accessing services at multiple places or who are staying elsewhere but coming to us for, for meals through the front door. Um, it, it's certainly a, a challenging uh, environment to do this kind of work, but for those within our shelter at least, um, we've, we've been able to create a very good process there. And then I imagine, like everywhere, uh, inside Siloam, you're physically distancing, masks, I mean, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, uh, folks are wearing masks indoors for sure, and uh, our shelter is um, at a significantly reduced capacity so that everyone, all the beds, um, you know, there's one or two beds between every person who's actually staying there. Um, we, we opened our, our expanded shelter this summer, which was just in time because it allowed us to um, increase uh, capa- capacity slightly with the social distancing. So. Um, yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of measures even for those who are who are inside the facility for sure. Can you back to the you said you don't have any cases right now, but you've had cases. Uh, do you have a number? Do you know how many cases in total you've had uh, uh, over a period of time? 
Um, I believe we've had five positive cases within within the asylum community or connected to us. Um, sometimes that's a little hard to define if it's somebody who maybe just stayed for us for one night and and then came when they were off to another facility. It's sometimes it's a little hard to define, but I I, I believe we've had five. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. Rusin said yesterday and again today in that audio that I played uh, that work is being done behind the scenes on this um, and, uh, you know, for isolation locations if needed and, and that sort of stuff. Have you been uh, at Siloam in discussion with the province? Are you involved in, in that work behind the scenes at all? Um, we have a good uh, a good relationship now with the our, our public health nurse, who's our main contact. Um, I, I'm personally not as involved uh, with that, but I know I've heard from our health center staff that that we've been um, that relationship has been constantly improving, and we've been in very good communication with them lately. Um, and I know that um, the latest news of of a new isolation facility opening is is very welcome. The timing is is great because we're just starting to get to that point of um, of needing more isolation space as those places fill up. What can you tell us about that isolation location? Because we're not hearing many details. Um, I haven't heard much more than what's been publicly announced, but I know that um, from our end leading up to that announcement, we know that the other two facilities um, were were reaching capacity. Uh, Those are places where someone symptomatic within our community will, um, will send them to one of those other facilities, and those were just starting to reach capacity. Um, so the fact that this new space with, uh, I believe it's 140 beds or units, um, the fact that that could effectively triple the amount of space uh, is really welcome, and, and it will make all the difference as we hopefully get into declining numbers over the next month and, and a better handle on um, transmission within the community. Mm-hmm. And, and final question, Luke, it's a beautiful day outside right now. Uh, somebody in Sandy Hook said it's sunny and plus five there. The forecast or the temperature here in Winnipeg is, is plus two and it's a beautiful day out. But we know the cold weather uh, is very close and I would imagine that may make things more difficult as well, eh? Absolutely. Um, that's something we brace for every year. This year um, with the pandemic, it complicates things even further. We've been lucky that we've that it's uh, it's been slow in coming. We haven't had that many really cold days, but um, the demand for services always goes up in the winter time. Um, people who spend part of the year um, sleeping rough, uh, not accessing shelters, you know, find their way to shelters for the winter, and uh, we know that the demand for for those spaces is going to increase it's only going to go up as we get into december and january so um having more isolation space available being able to max safely maximize the space we have um, that's going to be really crucial luke thanks for your time I, i really appreciate your help today yeah thanks so much i'm going on a trip it's like stretching our wings, right? It's like so in the wild oats. Who says that? What's your problem? I do not have a problem. You told me to sow my wild oats. That's not what that means. Of course it is. I have a proposal. I propose we never see each other again after tonight. A bit of the trailer 
from the movie of that name right there. I propose we never see each other again after tonight. Winnipeg filmmaker from Bedbug Film, Sean Garrity, joins us now. Sean, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hey, thank you so much for doing this. I can't believe it was August when you and I talked about this movie. Um, it was uh, earlier on uh, in the pandemic, I guess, uh, is one way to put it. And um, But yet your movie was in theaters at that point, and it did so well. Tell us about the success of this film. Yeah, we basically, you know, we, we launched it in theaters in Winnipeg, and uh, I was able to ask Cineplex to give me two screens, which they never do for a Canadian film, but it was a pandemic, and they didn't really have anything else to show, so they put us at the McGilvery and at the Northgate. Uh, and, man, we played there right until they closed theaters down again. The Northgate uh, went through 10 weeks until the provincial government shut theaters back down just recently, uh, which was a spectacular run. And while we were in theaters in Winnipeg, Cineplex saw the numbers that we were getting, and so they were like, oh, hold on, where else would you like to play? And we ended up doing five weeks in Toronto and seven weeks in Edmonton, and we were in Vancouver and Halifax and Ottawa, and we kind of had a, had a lovely kind of 17 city 19 theater run it was uh it's actually the the best theatrical run i've ever had well and it's unheard of for especially for a canadian film right sean absolutely yeah you know we at one point in toronto we were in three different cinemas which i've in 20 years of making films i've, I've never heard of a canadian film uh getting that kind of exposure and it's now on video on demand, so wherever you stream your movies, uh, it, it is available, and you can go into some detail on that in, in a bit if you want. Um, because now uh, people, and, and while a lot of people did see the movie when it was in theaters, many didn't because they didn't feel comfortable going to theaters, and, and I was one of those people, and so I'm anxious. It's only been out for a couple of days. I'm anxious to see the movie because a few people that I know that saw it said it was amazing, and the clips that I've seen are really great. Uh, there's a lot of Winnipeg in the movie. There certainly is. I mean, I really, you know, I, I, I really like to place my movies, you know, in a place that's real. And, and for most of my movies, that's always been Winnipeg. And I think we have such a, a rich culture here that we often don't, like, Winnipeggers aren't really braggarts. We don't really go out to the rest of Canada and talk about how great Winnipeg is. I mean, maybe we should, but yeah. we don't. And, and I feel like that's, there's, there's so much there that we've never talked about. I mean, I think the last time we were, we were speaking, we may have referenced the, the American movie Analyze This, mm-hmm. and it's absolutely unnecessary sequel, Analyze That, uh, <laughs> where they really play on the stereotypes, the subcultures of kind of the New York Jewish psychotherapist and the New York Italian kind of street smart monster. And everybody in America immediately recognizes those archetypes. And I kind of ask myself, why don't we, why aren't we doing that up here? Like, why aren't mm-hmm. we, when I talked to Winnipeggers, when I was getting this film off the ground and I said, you know, she's Filipino, he's Mennonite. Everyone was like, oh, I love it. I, I haven't even told them the story <laughs> yet. They're like, I love yeah. it. That's great. And I, and I yeah. kind of feel like it's high time we maybe started exporting those archetypes and talking about ourselves maybe in, in, in bigger terms. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you why we aren't braggers. I'll tell you why we, uh, as Winnipeggers and Manitobans, aren't out bragging about our our city and our province. It's because we're we're busy defending it, right? We don't have a chance to brag because we're we're saying, now hang on, <laughs> it, it isn't that bad, you know. You've got it all wrong. I think maybe that's why we're not we're not bragging about it. But but I don't know. Uh, maybe if we did, you know, 
everybody would, would move here from Toronto and then that would wreck it. I mean, maybe that's why. Yeah. And listen, the actors in this film, too, um, basically unheard of Winnipeg actors. I think your, your female lead in the movie, wasn't she doing a, didn't she refuse to stop doing a play that she was doing? So she did both or something. Wasn't, wasn't that the story? Yes. Yep. She was in a play. Um, and I tried to convince her to leave the play to be in the movie. And she just, she said, I signed a contract. I'm not, you know, I, I, I can't leave the play. And, I, I tried for about two weeks to get her to leave the play, and when she finally just <laughs> kind of put her foot down and said, no way am I doing that, I talked to my crew about maybe shooting around her schedule, like weekends and, and evenings, and if that would work for everybody. And luckily, everyone was game to try it. So, I mean, when I saw her, I, I, I knew, just like you see in movies about movies, I saw her and I knew, oh, that's, that's her. That's got to be her. That's, that's the yeah. lead right there. Yeah. Um, and is, so I would willing to move heaven earth. Is it always like that, uh, Sean, when you, you've got a character in mind, do you instantly know, or is it sometimes uh, uncertainty when you're trying to nail down actors and actresses to play a role? You know, there is some uncertainty, and, and then you kind of make it work. It's always a, a real godsend when you're in an audition and someone walks into the audition room and and just convinces you. Like, in a, in a few minutes in the audition, they convince you, oh, that's that's her or that's him. And I can absolutely with 100% confidence turn this role over to that actor and know that they are going to not only knock out of the park what's in the script, but bring something additional to it as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know what I was going to ask you. Uh, did the movie end up playing in Morton? Because the guy's a Mennonite in the, uh, in the movie, and I know you were talking about maybe uh, airing at the drive-in in Morton. That's right. Wow. That's, that's an amazing memory. We did that. Uh, we also played, you know, Winkler and Dauphin and Brandon and, and Portage Prairie, and, and we played a, a Steinbeck. Uh, but certainly in, in all of the years that I've been making movies, I must say that the Stardust Drive-In in Morden is, is a highlight experience. I, I took my wife and, and daughter, and we took the, the actors, and we drove down, oh, cool. and we watched it with everybody there, and it's clear prairie night, and the stars came out, and it was just um, it was amazing. I have lots of conversations over the past several months during this pandemic about the bad things that have come from COVID-19 and the pandemic and the lockdown and everything, but I try and find one or two, and I usually do find one or two things in every conversation that might uh, end up being better. Um, do you think maybe uh, uh, more attention will be paid to Canadian movies now because of this? Because I have certainly watched more Canadian films uh, in the, the past several months than I ever have. Probably I've watched more you know, since the pandemic began than I watched previous to that in, in my entire life. Certainly, you know, uh, when we were playing theaters, I mean, uh, you know, this is my eighth film that I'm releasing theatrically across Canada. And we've just, we've never been able to hold on to a screen for longer than two or three weeks. Uh, and it's not, it's, it's just that there's such a deluge of product from Hollywood that it just flushes out the multiplex and takes everything with it. Uh, even if you're doing good numbers, even if you have people coming in and seeing the movie. I mean, I remember once in an eight-plex, multiplex, we were the number two movie. They got four new movies from, from Universal, and they told us, you're out. And I was like, wait a minute, that math doesn't make sense. We're the number two movie. How, how come we're out? But, you know, it's it, there's so much stuff that comes through, and the bookers have very complicated and involved relationships with the American studios. So 
I've always believed that if Canadian films, a lot of great Canadian films, had the chance to sit in theaters for a while and let word of mouth generate kind of a a bit of a thing so that people came to the cinemas to see that we would do a lot better. Um, and luckily with this film, uh, thanks to the pandemic, we had a chance to, to prove that. And so what are you working on now? You're always working on something else. <laughs> I am. I'm always, my, my theory is kind of keep four things on the stove at the same time so that you can, <laughs> you can eat the one that doesn't burn. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm well, working on something with, uh, you know, frequent collaborator Jonas Chernick. We're writing something together. I'm writing something on my own about identity theft. I'm very excited about, uh, there's a guy in California who's, uh, who I'm writing something with. It's also a very interesting story about politics and how, how politics kind of at the moment play out around the kitchen table in houses, in people's homes. And, and mm. that's a very interesting script as well. Uh, always got lots of stuff on the go, you know. Sure. Well, I know I'll hear from you uh, when it's ready to be uh, talked about. So, um, again, uh, just tell everybody, I mean, basically, uh, I propose we never see each other again after tonight is available everywhere now, video on demand, wherever you stream your movies, you can you can see it now at home in the safety of your home, right? Yeah, uh, my, my distributor sent me a long list, Rogers, Shaw, Telus, Bell, Ubiquity, etc., etc. And, and then the other day, I was actually on YouTube looking for something, and I discovered that it's it's there as well. And I talked to my distributor. I was like, hey, did you forget to put YouTube on that list? And they were like, oh, yeah, sorry. So it actually might even be streaming in more places than I know. Cool. Well, listen, uh, again, I'm excited to watch it. Uh, I've heard great things about it. And congratulations on the success, Sean. And we'll talk soon. Thank you, sir. Looking forward to it. Sean Garrity, Winnipeg filmmaker, Bedbug Films. The movie is called I Propose We Never See Each Other Again After Tonight. It's a rom-com. It's a romantic comedy uh, involving, and it's set in Winnipeg. And, man, there's some beautiful shots of Winnipeg, the the clips and and stuff that I've seen, um, and a couple of uh, local actors. And um, it's really good. From what I hear, it's very good. I'll let you know once I see it uh, what I think of it. But uh, check it out. Sean Garrity, I propose we never see each other again after tonight. Available now on Video On Demand. Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling, conexuscounseling.ca. Come on in here. Uh, good afternoon. How are you? Hey, Hal. So good to talk to you. Yeah, good to talk to you, too. So, listen, you were, uh, I don't know what platform you were on, but you were on social media. You posted about a bus driver leaving Starbucks. Tell us this story because people are talking about it on- online. Yeah, so it's on um, Instagram as well okay. as Facebook on the Conexus Counseling. And what happened was I was in Starbucks yesterday. I haven't been in a store, like any store, for weeks. And I was just struck by how there were all these tables and chairs that were pushed up against the wall like they were just about to move or something, right? And I just thought, I want to capture this because someday we're going to wonder, was it really like that, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I snapped a quick shot. And there was a bus driver in the picture. And after we were, he and I were both waiting for several minutes. And I saw him look at his watch. And then he walked out of the store after waiting to get his drink. And he didn't get a drink, right? And it, it really was taking a long time. And I found out a few minutes later that their machine had broken down and they had to get it up going again. And so what I noticed was that this fellow, this bus driver, he's driving a bus. He's got a schedule. Passengers need to get to where they need to go. So he just left without his drink that he had already paid for. And it just struck me as incredibly, like, most people would have gotten really mad, started to yell, complain, Mm -hmm. you know, something. And he just silently left, and he didn't even slam the door on his way out. He just had to go about his day. And I just thought, you know, there is a man who's showing understanding and compassion, recognizing that when everybody's doing the best they can, sometimes it's still not very good. 
Um, and at a time and place where so often you see people kind of just, you know, unloading mm-hmm. on each other in kind of nasty ways, he would, he just took the high road and, and gave them grace. And so I snapped that, I had that picture. So I popped it up on Facebook and I said, look what this guy did. Like, isn't this great? And it was so funny because, you know, I get, you know, several hundred people or a thousand people looking at a post, but this one kind of just went crazy with so many shares. And there was this, it moved people to see somebody be that kind. And it's funny how when you see somebody be kind, it inspires you to be kind, right? So mm-hmm. there was all these comments, this detective work of what bus route was it and which Starbucks do you think it was and how can we find them? And there was people texting like bus drivers like, do you know who this is? And they were sharing it with bus drivers trying to see if they could hunt this guy down because they wanted to get the guy his drink, right? Mm-hmm. They wanted to make sure that somebody would, people were offering to say, tell me what bus routes he's on and I'm going to just get on his bus and give him a gift card, right? That 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 goodness inspires more goodness and people just wanted to give it back and i just i just love to see the warmth that came out of it yeah and you're right right especially now i think right now more than ever because we are in in such a tough spot in so many ways i think those small acts of kindness really matter a lot more uh right now i was on a skype meeting the other day several people on the meeting and I'm here at my home studio, and it's before the show, 10.30 or 11 o'clock the other morning. And Greg Mackling is on his way home from doing the start, the morning show. And he's, uh, the timing sucks, and he's uh, starting the meeting in the drive through grabbing a steep tea on his way home. <laughs> and so he's like, sorry, guys, I'm dealing with a steep tea. So the meeting was just getting going, no big deal. And he gets to the window to get his tea, and the woman says, oh, uh, the guy in front of you paid for your tea. Well, that made his day, right? He was sort of stressed out. He was heading home. He was trying to grab a tea. He had this meeting, and then, you know, we all kind of laughed. And uh, so it was, uh, you know, but it's nothing major. But I think right now, um, because we are, I think, on edge, all of us, we're expecting people to get angry and to overreact and be frustrated. And when we see those acts of kindness, uh, it really is um, wonderful. Yes, kindness begets kindness, and I think sometimes we don't know that people are watching and that we really can shape the people who are interacting with their day, and, you know, Greg was telling you that story, and it all changed you guys too, right? And it's infectious. Mm -hmm. If we can start a virus of kindness, um, I think that will help us get through the COVID-19 virus. Virus of kindness, I like that. Um, You know, it's Thanksgiving in the U.S. today, and I I wished all of our American listeners a happy Thanksgiving. And I was reading a story the other day, it was an opinion piece, and and the person who was writing the piece said this year for them, and we've had our Thanksgiving already, obviously, but uh, the person was saying, you know, this year instead of being thankful, maybe we need to show gratitude. And you and I have had this conversation a million times, Carolyn, but as you know, it's a real important one for me, gratitude. And, And I think we need to be more grateful right now for what we have so many people have been devastated by this virus they've uh you know been furloughed they've lost their job completely their business has been closed down they've lost a loved one somebody in their in their family or a friend is fighting the virus i think it's really important to show gratitude right now it is and it's often at times of great stress and great difficulty great adversity that we tap into that part of Um, But I'm so grateful. I was watching a video with Rachel Ray. She's that American um, talk show host. Mm -hmm. And her house burnt down. And she said, I'm so grateful we got out. We're safe. We got out alive, right? And 
and she hadn't thought to be so grateful for just being alive until that might have been threatened. And I think during this time of American Thanksgiving, it's all a reminder to all of us that so often we take so many things for granted. And if we can turn and look at our lives and see, you know, the fact that I had breakfast, I'm grateful for that. The fact that I had a roof over my head, I'm grateful for that. There's so many things that we can be grateful for. And it really changes our perspective when we look at all that we have at a time when it's really tempting to just look at all that we have not. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.